Well, I, I want to get started. I've got a, a lot of things to go through as usual. <clears throat> and I want to... I loves me some song lyrics, so I'm going to share some song lyrics that, I, that came across me the other day. Not my style of music. It's a little twangy for my taste, if you know what I mean. But <clears throat> this, was on, this came across like on one of my Pandora things. It's called Jersey on the Wall uh, by Tennille Towns. And she said... And it, it, the, the beginning starts, about, starts off talking about how there's, at her home, home high school, there's a jersey on the wall, but it's not there because he did a great thing. It's because he was in a car crash. And she said, if I ever get to heaven, got a long list of questions, like how do you make a snowflake? Are you angry when the earth quakes? How does the sky change in a minute? How do you keep this big rock spinning? If you get your hands on everything that happens, if you've got your hands on everything that happens... And why couldn't you keep, stop that car from crashing? Forgive me, I'm just asking. I'm just asking. And I think we all can probably fill in the blank of why couldn't you stop whatever from happening um, with something in your life. And that's uh, a real chipper way to start class off, but that's kind of what we're trying to work toward understanding today a little bit and getting some peace around that kind of thing. So... Let's start off with a prayer today. Father, I ask that you help us today to understand you as ultimately impossible that really is. Help us to understand how you work in our lives and when hard things happen, what we can do and how we can look at you and how we can come to peace with things like that. In your sense, let me pray. Amen. So, quick review of last time to keep everybody up to date. Uh, did a whirlwind tour through chapters 4 through 27 of Job. And um, we looked back and it was looked at the back and forth between Job and his friends. Uh, they, they came to him in his time of suffering and gave him all kinds of great advice. Sorry, not really. Um, and beyond just a good, a, good, a good example of what not to do to a suffering friend... Job's friends are kind of a stand-in for the philosophy and the religion of, of the world around Israel at the time. And um, everything that they say to Job centers around this idea of the retribution principle that I keep going on about. In other words, they're convinced that the cause of Job's suffering is, is that he must have done something wrong, really bad, to anger God. And they show little to no compassion for what he's going through. And they even start making up things that they think he might have done wrong uh, to get himself into the situation. And they're so convinced that they know God's mind, they're willing to put their friend through a third round of suffering on top of the two he's already gone through. Um, but they are wrong. And, and well, God says that directly uh, when, he, when he starts talking later. And I close that class with the plea that that we are all, we remain humble enough not to do the same thing ourselves in our, in our own lives. Because we all probably have something that we're 100% sure of that we're at least 50% wrong on. And don't damage your relationships for something that you might be wrong about. Um, so Job replies to them and makes it clear that he's not happy with them. He calls them windbags and worthless counselors. And he's really not happy with them. And nor, he sh- nor should he be. They're not helping at all. And they're spouting things that are wrong. But through all the back and forth, 
the accusations of wrongdoing by his friends, um, Job refuses to admit that he's done anything wrong to deserve what he's going through. And he also, the interesting thing is he also agrees that being evil would have gotten what he, him what he's experiencing, because he agrees with the retribution principle idea, but that he hasn't been evil. And so his conclusion is God must be unjust, and he's treated him unjustly. And he constantly, like 12 times, asks for an audience with God so he can tell his side of the story. Um, because he's convinced that if he can just explain his innocence, God would stop making him suffer so much. Because he doesn't deserve it. And that's the whole point. The whole point is that he doesn't deserve this. Um, but today we're going to look at chapter 28 of Job. And remember a few classes ago I showed you the general outline of the book? And how um, it has this chiastic structure, and I'm not going to get into that too much, but it's just chiasmus is a literary device used sometimes in the Bible, not everywhere, but it just, it's like the A and the, the bottom of the A prime, the prologue and the epilogue are both narratives, there's three speech cycles, three monologues, and the thing in the middle, the chiasmus refers to chi, which is a Greek letter, the X. So whatever is in the middle is kind of like the central point of the thing. And it's not necessarily the geographic middle of the book, but it's the, like, the conceptual middle of the thing. Um, and right in the middle is this wisdom poem in chapter 28. Um, it doesn't, this doesn't mean it's necessarily the most important thing in the book, but it does point to the fact that this is the core, has a lot of the core uh, important ideas to understanding what's going on here. And honestly, even if, without the nerdy chiasmus thing, um, I think the case can be easily made that the, this is the focus point, and we'll talk about why. So chapter 24, 28 comes, like I said, after 24 chapters of philosophical and theological debate on the nature of God working in the world. And nothing has been agreed upon. None, they don't, the only thing they agreed upon is this retribution principle thing. And, um, and they think that God's constrained by it. And that, that good people receive blessings and bad people receive punishments. Because they all think they know how God works. And then we have this chapter that seems to come out of nowhere. Like, we have this, it's, it's a new tone. It's all about wisdom. It's, it's a new voice. It's a new topic. And it doesn't seem to be, uh, uh, it doesn't sound like anyone we've seen in the story so far for, in the entire book. And so it seems that what's going on here is that the narrator is injecting, like, an aside, like an interlude. Um, like, injecting their thoughts. Kind of like the, like, sometimes in Shakespeare, there's, like, a closing monologue before the end of the act, and then it goes into an intermission. Uh, it's, it seems to be kind of like that. And side note, when I, if you ever sit down and read this in book whole, all the way through, which I really recommend, takes about an hour-ish, um... When I read it, uh, it, it really, it suddenly hit me, it seemed like a play. I don't know if I mentioned this before, but this, this seems like a play, the way this is structured. And this is like the narrator getting up and saying, blah, blah, blah. But this is not blah, blah, blah. This is important stuff. Um, so we're going to read this whole thing together, and it's not that long. Um, and we'll pause at the, each section and discuss. And I was going to get some people to read because I... Didn't want to talk the whole time, but I forgot, so I'll just read it. So uh, there's three sections, and um, this is the first section. It's about mining. 
which seems even more random. So uh, Job 28, 1 through 11. There is a mine for silver in a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the earth and copper is smelted from ore. Mortals put an end to the darkness. They search out the farthest recesses for ore in the blackest darkness. Far from human dwellings, they cut a shaft. In places untouched by human feet, far from other people, they dangle and sway. The earth from which food comes is transformed below as by fire. Lapis lazuli comes from its rocks, and its dust contains nuggets of gold. No bird of prey knows that hidden path. No falcon's eye has seen it. Proud beasts do not set foot in it. No lion prowls there. People assault the flinty rock with their hands. They lay bare the roots of the mountains. And they tunnel through the rock. Their eyes see all its treasures. They search the sources of rivers and bring hidden things to light. So, like I said, this whole first section on mining seems kind of random. Especially in this story about a guy who loses his stuff and his family and his friends are being rude to him and suddenly, hey, by the way, mining... It's pretty cool. Um, obviously, there's more to it. So mining was extremely important in the ancient world. It is now, too, but we don't... Like, every battery that you have has lithium mined from someplace. We don't think about it very much these days. But back then, it was really the basis of technology and technological advancement and art and wealth I mean, think about how we classify some of these ancient time periods by, it's by what metal that they were able to figure out how to use and get out of the ground, like bronze, copper, or iron. Or before that, before they could figure it out, it was just the Stone Age, because they could just use stones. And the fact that someone could dig into the earth in the right place, know how to get this stuff out of the ground, and know how to refine it to be useful, it was amazing to people at the time. I mean, it still kind of is now, but it was, it was like the, the peak of human achievement is to be able to do this stuff. Um, and it required delving into deep, dark, obscure places where nobody's gone and getting these stunning things like gold and silver and, and, and so forth from what looks like just dust and rocks. And the, just, it was an amazing thing. What, what do you think this has to do with wisdom? Or what Joe was going through? Yeah. You have to dig for it. You have to dig for it. Okay. Any other thoughts? You have to work things out. Okay. Yeah. Be beauty underneath the surface of difficult things. I hadn't thought about that. That's good. Yeah. When you read about gold miners around here, they would spend years living in mountains in really harsh conditions, digging and living there. And so it takes a lot of hard work, a lot of perseverance. A lot of hard work, perseverance. Yeah, you could spend years doing seemingly nothing, and before you hit hit the gold, the the seam of gold or whatever. Um, yeah, I, I think those are all absolutely true. And reading through the next section is like, where can wisdom be found? It's kind of referencing back to this thing about how humans humans have a tendency to think that because we have the capability to do amazing things, 
in the physical world, we can figure everything out for ourselves. That's kind of how I'm perceiving it when you read the whole thing in context. Because he's like, he goes on about how amazing all this, this mining stuff is and how nothing else in the world has seen these, this stuff. We think that we can just search and find wisdom just like we can search and find gold. Um, and we think that because we're going places that the great beasts and the falcons in the air have never seen and we're bringing light to this dark place that we can do everything for ourselves. And it, and it kind of sets the section kind of sets up the fact that yes, humans have done what no other being on earth can do or has done, and seen things that nobody else has seen, that were brilliant. But does that give us wisdom? Does that ability to do a fantastic things on the earth give us wisdom? No, it gives us knowledge, but that's not the same as wisdom. And section two starts asking that question. Where can wisdom be found? Where can, but where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? No mortal comprehends its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me. The sea says, it's not with me. It cannot be bought with the finest gold, nor can its price be weighed out in silver. It cannot be bought with gold of Ophir, with precious onyx or lapis lazuli. Neither can gold nor crystal can compare with it, nor can it be held, had for jewels of gold. Coral and jasper are not worthy of mention, and the price of wisdom is beyond rubies. The topaz of Cush cannot be compared with it. It cannot be bought with pure gold. In other words, you know all these things that you're so proud of being able to get out of the ground, you know all these things you're so proud of being able to figure out and do? They're not worth mentioning in, compared, in comparing with wisdom. It's not even worth talking about because you can't buy it. So my question here is, if wisdom is so fantastic, what's the big deal? Why is it so important in, in general? I mean, I hope we agree it's good, right? Why is it so good? Keeps you out of a lot of trouble. Okay. Helps you know how to live. Wise people seem to have a lot of peace. Yeah, David? Just before I answer that, it looks like there's two things going on here. You're alluded to them. You know, look how hard it is for you to find these things of value. Right. And how hard people go for those things of value. And then saying, and it almost reverses all of them and says, those things can't buy wisdom. Right. And it's harder to find. Right. So I think he's, he's stating the value, you know, to your point. Yeah, he's doing both stating the value and saying it's hard to find. Yeah. Wisdom from, as opposed to 
Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think one of the reasons the wisdom is important is it is one it is one is a path to God. Yeah, and um, that's true that wisdom is it's a very big thing. Like we use that term for lots of stuff. And there there is an aspect of wisdom that's just comes from experience, like knowing how to I don't know, manage your yard, <laughs> like deal with like your grass and when to, oh, that's just kind of information, I don't know. There, it, just in general, there, there are things you can figure out yourself, but there are, there's aspects of wisdom that are so big that you need something beyond yourself to, to do it. And this is, this is talking about wisdom from God, and that next section talks all about that. Um, but what, why else do you guys think wisdom is important to have? Maybe in, in this context of Job in a, in a suffering world, yeah. That's interesting because wisdom can be hard to recognize, is what you said. And I think that sometimes the things that we're going through, it may be hard to recognize that that's going to provide wisdom to us eventually, maybe. Um, Yeah. Okay, so wisdom comes from God, which helps you be prosperous and successful, yeah, and pleasing to God, yeah. Jason? I think wisdom is something that uh, helps us in, a, in some way become more like God and, and see things the way he sees them, but I think it also can put us in our place and realize who we're not and who he is. So I think it's, it's kind of an amazing thing that we can become a little bit more like God by being more wise. Yeah, it does. It does. Help. That's, that, in my mind, that's a huge part piece of what wisdom really is: is becoming more like God, which is going to put you in your place <laughs> when you realize, when you see how God really is and understand His heart and His mind. You're going to realize, compare yourself to that, hopefully, and see where you can change yourself. And I think that's a large part of wisdom. So then, where do you find wisdom? It says that um, no mortal comprehends its worth. And it cannot be found in the land of the living. Uh, I said earlier that the, the deep and the sea don't know where it is. They don't have it. It's not in there. So you can mine all you want. You can go to the depths of the sea, and you're not going to find wisdom. Um, and they don't know where it is. And they were there when the world was made. The, the deep and the sea are kind of this... Um, the, the concept of the cosmos at the time was that there's like a dome over the earth... And the, the, the deep and the sea were below the earth, like the, as deep and, and as down, far down as you can go. And this, this, they, they were there in the, the chaos before creation happened. And they don't even understand it. 
Um, so it's both inaccessible from a human standpoint and it's beyond value. And it kind of makes you want it when you describe it this way. It's like, wow, I kind of want that thing that's so impossible to get. Um, but if it's not found on earth, then where does it come from? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, let's read on. Chapter uh, 28, verse 20. Then where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds in the sky. Destruction and death say, only a rumor of it has reached our ears. God understands the way to it, and he alone knows where it dwells. For he views the ends of the earth, and he sees everything under the heavens. When he established the force of the wind and measured out the waters, when he made a decree for the rain and the path for the thunderstorm, then he looked at wisdom and appraised it. He confirmed it and tested it. So section two asks, where, do you, where can you find wisdom? And the answer is definitely not on earth. Humans can't find it. And so section three asks, okay, then where does wisdom come from? And since it's not to be found in the land of the living... Death and destruction are consulted, but, but all they've heard is a rumor. They don't even understand it. Then we find the answer that only God knows where to find it, and we're given direction about what to do, where to, where to find it, and it says, And he said to the human race, The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to shun evil is understanding. Kind of makes you think of Proverbs, uh, chapter 1 and 9, I think both say, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This says the fear of the Lord is wisdom. What, what do you think that means? How is, how is fearing the Lord wisdom in and of itself? Yeah, if you truly fear God, you're, it's going to impact everything you do, which should temper your judgment maybe and slow you down a little bit. Any other thoughts? Yeah, she said it is the wisest thing you can do, fearing the Lord, which... Is a very wise thing coming from my daughter, if I can brag on her for a second. Um, because that, that's really what it is. Fearing the Lord is wisdom. It's also the beginning of wisdom, but in a different way. It gives, it, it's not the thing that gives wisdom, but it, it is in and of itself a wise act, fearing God. Which is kind of an interesting thing, that you need a little bit of wisdom to get wisdom. Um, but if God is the only one who knows where to find wisdom, then it is wise to trust God as the path to wisdom, which is kind of what this is. It's because he is both wisdom, he is both wisdom and he is the path to wisdom. And when you get into the Greek, this, it's like when, when wisdom has the definite article the or not, it's a ha, but this, this just says that is wisdom. And in Proverbs it says um, the fear of the Lord is, be, is the beginning of the wisdom. So this is like kind of a more conceptual idea. And 
fearing a God we don't physically, personally interact with requires that we trust that he knows what he's doing. And so I think trust is a large part of this as well. Yeah. It's it's an automatically understanding who God is and who you are and you are Yeah, a large part of the fearing God Yeah, fearing God really a large part of that is understanding that you are not him. And removing yourself from the throne and putting God on the throne. So why do you think in this book about a suffering man is there this chapter on wisdom and how to get it? Say that again? Because that's what you need to get yourself through the situation? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're trying to understand the thing we can't understand. And we're trying to figure it out. Yeah, Jeff? I think we just took all the, the precious metals and gems. There's, there's counterfeits to all of those things. And I, I think that's so true of wisdom that many people find wisdom, what, they, what appears to be wisdom. And, and this, is, this is a mark of the authenticity of wisdom, is the fear of the Lord. And that's the very thing, you know, as you brought up in the class, this is the very thing that is somewhat under question. In the book is is God holy? Um, is God um, honorable in what He's doing mm-hmm. right now? And any uh, any time that we elevate our wisdom and we become some kind of Socratic philosopher, where God becomes the subject of our wisdom instead of our wisdom being the subject of God, um, that's not honoring. And so I, I think that's it's so well placed in this book that it says whatever we arrive at. Yeah, God being on trial in this whole situation, if the the wisdom of God is kind of on trial as well, and understanding that if if the conclusions we don't come to aren't coming from God's wisdom, it's a bit of a circular reasoning thing, honestly. But it it's kind of this this chapter is kind of pointing out that the wisdom is needed to understand what's what all this stuff is any other thoughts yeah Yeah, the the whole concept of the term fear of God is 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 a hard one to come to terms with sometimes, unless without really getting into a lot of the a lot of stuff. But I like what you said about being coachable. You're, you need to, in a way, kind of forget what you think you know, because the wisdom that you think you have is not true wisdom. It's not the it's not the kind of wisdom that comes from God, at least. Yeah, David. 
described Job right at the top as he feared God and shunned evil. Yeah. Job 1 1. Exactly. So here's what I think that means to me. And yet, life happened in an extremely hard way to him. And, and, and maybe he didn't have yet the wisdom and the understanding. So, so I think we need to not look at the fear of the Lord and shunning evil as like a moment in time. Like I got that right. But like a journey we're on of you know continuing to be in a relationship with God and knowing who He is and and you know, so He already had this and yet here He is meeting it again. Does that make sense? Yes. And so so it's not a moment you don't arrive. Um, you know things are going to happen in your life where you don't have, you have the wisdom for this but not for that. You, you understand some things but not all things. You you still need God. You still need the fear of the Lord. You still need to depend on Him and you know cast your burdens and worries on Him. So I just find it interesting that the exact same words were who Job was, but here he is in the situation, still needing it. If that makes sense. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because this this is a direct callback to the beginning of the book that describes this Job as this: he feared the Lord and shunned evil, and he still is struggling with. What happened to me? Why is this happening? Did I do something wrong? And it is a journey. This gaining wisdom and getting through our lives and, and dealing with problems that we have is not something like, oh, I fear God, I'm good now. I, I've got all the wisdom I need. It, it's a journey and it's, it's a struggle and it's, a, it's something you have to work through. Yeah, Abby? There's no way I can sum up all the Plato quotes and things like that. That was, that was really good. But basically what you're saying is that um, the pursuit of wisdom is pursuing the things that God is. The beauty and, the, and, the, and truth and things like that. And that's absolutely right. That if, if we want to gain wisdom, we're searching out God, basically. Yeah, Christy. towards suffering and I feel like you kind of almost start gaining a different perspective when you're in the midst of suffering and and you it kind of turns your world upside down 
That's a good way to put it, because Job did, did start out very much showing the wisdom that, yeah. that you should have as far as, like, well, God's in control. He can do whatever he wants. But then suffering hits, and your world does kind of flip upside down, and then you maybe I, I've been there. You kind of start questioning things that you thought were, you were sure about, and you're like, I, I'm good with this, and then something happens, and you're like, I'm not sure about that. Yeah, Jeff? The reason I like Christy's point is because I'm just sitting here remembering that this is Job writing these words. And so this is Job going through all of this, going, where on earth am I going to find wisdom right now? I'm desperate for wisdom. You know, not, he's definitely not writing this saying, I'm wise. He's writing this saying, I more than I want jewels, more than I want gold. Where am I going to find wisdom in all of this? And so I think even he feels desperate uh, in his situation. Yeah, I think what's going on here is that that in the midst of this suffering, and in the middle of this story, we're we're told when suffering. I mean, we know that when suffering comes along, it's confusing. We start asking why, but the answer is rarely there, if ever. Um, Like, why didn't keep God keep from the car from crashing? I don't know. but the advice in Job here is, well, seek wisdom. And where does wisdom come from? It comes from God. How do you get it? Well, you fear him. That's where you start. And that, I mean, that's like an entire study in and of itself of what that means. But I think that that's how wisdom can help you understand and deal with suffering on some level. Because true wisdom tells us that God is in charge, kind of like Job at the beginning of the book. He understood and acknowledged that God's in charge of things. And to fear him equals trusting him. And it doesn't take away the suffering or the pain, but it might give us some hope. Yeah, and, and go ahead. Um, I think there's also this, um, we often assume that having wisdom is understanding, but I think that that's Yeah, it's really good. You said wisdom isn't necessarily understanding, but it's turning to the God who does understand. And I think that's that's honestly the kind of the key of this chapter. And I think that's honestly the key to the most of this book. That you may not understand what's going on, and you may never understand. But the only thing that you can do is turn to the God who does understand and look for guidance there. Yeah, you, 
Yeah, it's hard because there's, there's, like you said, there's nowhere else to turn except God. Because I, mean, I think that's the whole section on mining is like you can turn to, to human technological things and human understanding. That's not going to get you what you need. The only place to turn is to God. Because like in the case of Job, he and his friends are working under the assumption that they know what, how God works. That they know how things are set up. And like 25 through 27, these, like the force of the wind and the, the rain and the thunderstorms, when God established the universe and established the force of the wind, wisdom was there. And it was part of the ordering of this chaotic pre-creation world. And there's no way Job and his friends could understand that. Only God can understand that. And these things, all of these things are things that seem chaotic and that we can't track. We can try to understand. But, I mean, with all the technological advancements in weather... My app is still wrong 90% of the time. Um, but using human wisdom, you can only get so far, but, and you can't come to what's really ish, the issue. And things won't make sense. And I, I came across this quote in a commentary on Job, which to me helps explain how God's perspective, otherwise known as wisdom, can help us when suffering comes. It says, God's perspective on the foundation of the cosmos is based on causes, all instigated by him, not on effects what humans experience. There's no foundational principle that runs the cosmos. The cosmos runs by God's continuous and ongoing activity. What, in other words, our perspective on reality is based on what we experience. Things happen to us, we assume that we can deduce reality and, and cause and effect because of that. And we develop things like the retribution principle, assuming that, and, and we ask questions like, why do bad things happen to good people, assuming that that shouldn't be the case. But God's perspective of reality is based upon what he does because he created reality. And so he uses wisdom to act and create and maintain the universe. And his, his perspective on this world started before the beginning, and continues to be based on what he does and who he is, not how we feel and how we experience things. And that, it, it's, that what that basically I'm getting at is, is trying to shift your perspective from my, my view of how things are working in this world and, and assuming that I understand everything that's going on to thinking from God's perspective why he allows things to happen, why, why he does things on this world, and being humble enough to realize there's no way I can understand that. And it's, it, this is all about being humble and realizing we need to fear God. So Job and, and company are viewing what's happening based on what they're experiencing in the world, which is based on human wisdom. And God is viewing here what is happening based on what he's doing in the world. Um, and humans expect God to assess things based on some philosophical principle, we assume that God should constrain himself to this retribution idea, and so did Job and his friends. But he's beyond that. not constrained by that. He defines reality, not us. So, um, and that's why this is the core of the book of Job, and why... Job is considered wisdom literature. It's, it's in the group that we call wisdom literature, which seems kind of weird sometimes. But, I mean, God is on trial for how he treats humanity. 
And the assumption is that he follows the principle of just retribution, and that would make him an unjust and evil God when the innocent suffer. And that is the conclusion that many people have come to about him. There are many people who have made the... They've come up against the problem of pain, the problem of suffering in the world, and concluded that God is evil, and I don't want to deal with a God like that. I'm done. And they walk away. But what we're missing when we do that is we're missing that... It, we're making that verdict on a false assumption. This false assumption that God works the way we think he should work. That he's bound by some philosophical principle that he's not actually bound by. And we may not understand how he works in this world, and much like we don't understand how the universe was planned, but trusting that God does understand and loves us, and that is wisdom. And that's where we need to point our hearts. Yeah, Kathy. Yeah, the parenting idea, the concept is important because teaching our kids that this is not how the world works is important. I remember, it's kind of a joke in Germany, if you don't finish your food, then your parents are like, if you don't finish your food, it's going to rain tomorrow. And it's going to rain half the time in Germany anyway. And if if they finish their food, they're like, well, it rained anyway. Well, some other kid didn't finish his food. It's like, things that you do are going to completely affect the way you work and things happen in this world. And that's a balance because sometimes it does, but yeah, Chuck... Then we have to be done. Many of us that are, that are in this room uh, don't dislike God, or we wouldn't be here. We don't. We haven't rebelled against Him. But the question many of us have is: Can we love a God that we don't agree with, or can we love Him even if we don't? If he doesn't act the way we want to. But I disagree time, with God all the time. Yeah. Relationship between men and women and husband and wife. There are times that we disagree with one another, but that doesn't make break our trust and our love for the other individual. Right. And God is so much more, and His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. My ways are not Lois's ways. My ways, my thoughts are not her thoughts. 
Yeah, and that's why I said that we need to point our hearts toward this idea of trusting God and knowing that he's, in some way, shape, or form that I don't understand. I may not like at this moment, but he's, he knows what he's doing. He knows what, how this, he knows his perspective is much bigger than mine. And that's kind of what comes in the next few chapters, especially when God starts talking about, do you have any idea how this world works, Job? No. Um... And we'll get into that uh, next time a little bit. Thanks for being here, everybody.